What is the greatest gift that you have ever been given? The greatest gift that you have ever been given. Is it something tangible? Did someone give you a new car or a a new computer or iPad? Did someone give you a home, maybe as an inheritance, a free vacation, or maybe someone paid off your debt? What is the greatest gift that you've ever been given? Is it something sentimental? Could it be your child or maybe your children or maybe something that your child made for you? Is it your spouse or maybe a special friendship like no other? What is the greatest gift that you have ever been given? Now, I don't know about you, but I find that's not a very easy question to answer. Many of us have received all kinds of gifts in our lives, both tangible and intangible, which kind of makes it hard for us to categorize any of them as the greatest gift. We know that gifts themselves are given out of love to someone as a reminder of your care and love for them, and most often they are unexpected. Sometimes they catch us by surprise, but they're always in tended to be experienced and to be shared. I remember when I was turning 16 years old, I did not have enough money to buy a car. All my friends already were driving, and they all had cars, and so I was constantly grabbing rides with them. My parents were unable to provide me with a vehicle, and I thought I would just be carless throughout my entire high school career. Um, And then I got this surprise phone call um, right near my birthday from my grandmother. She called me up and she said, Jeffrey, that's what you say when, you know, I was, I'm Jeffrey and I'm either in trouble or I'm being blessed whenever I hear that name. And she said, Jeffrey, I have a gift for you. And I said, what is that, nanny? And she said, I want to give you my car. I said, what? What did you just say? I, I want to give you my car, her 1982 Toyota um, Corolla hatchback. It was a prize. It was a prize to me because I didn't have a car. And it was like the greatest gift I could ever receive because at 16, everyone wants to be driving and they want to be independent. And if you don't have one, you're not like everybody else. She gave me her car and it was awesome. And I had it for two weeks before I totaled it. (laughs) For the two weeks I had it, it was pretty awesome. And in those two weeks, I called my best friend and I said, hey, I got a car. We're going to drive around town together because I learned that when you have a gift like that you want to share it with somebody and so who better to share it with than your best friend at that time in my life that was the greatest gift I had ever received but I'm 40 years old now and looking back over my years of my own life I recognize that there are many other gifts that I have received over the years that are even better than that how about you What is your greatest gift? Today, as we continue our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, we come to this passage in John's Gospel in which Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to be going away, but that he is going to give them a gift like no other in his absence. We know this gift to be the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus has just celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He has just washed their feet. He has instructed them to do the same. And now he is preparing them 
for what's about to happen to him. And he doesn't tell them plainly that he's going to be crucified, but he is telling them that he's going away, but that he will not leave them as orphans. He promises to give them the gift of his very presence to be with them forever, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of his disciples, who's a little confused about what's going on, he asked Jesus why he's chosen only to reveal himself to his disciples and not to the whole world. I find that Judas is a lot like us. I mean, we would be asking Jesus the same thing. It's a valid question. If you are Lord of everything, of heaven and earth, then why aren't you shouting it from the rooftops? It's as if Judas says to him, Jesus, shout it out. Let people know about it. Use your miraculous powers to make it clear to everyone that you are who you claim to be. Don't let this moment pass you by. Jesus listens to Judas, and his response is a little different. It's as if Jesus says, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, but I'm not going to do it by some cataclysmic show of my power. Instead, I'm going to show it in and through my loyal disciples throughout the whole world. Don't worry, Judas. I'm going to do it. Just not the way you would expect me to. Jesus then tells them this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus is giving them the greatest gift they could ever and will ever receive. The gift of himself. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Though they physically will not be able to see him once he leaves them. The word, according to John, has become flesh and dwelled among them full of grace and truth. But soon Christ's presence will make his home permanently within them. You see, this is vitally important because Jesus knows that they are about to experience a very hard time. They will be exposed to the traumatic events of his arrest, of their denial of him, and them scattering in fear, and ultimately seeing their Lord die a gruesome death before their very eyes. And so Jesus gives them this gift, the gift of his peace, a gift given to them that no one else can offer them. He knows that their lives are going to be turned upside down. But he doesn't want them to fear. And he doesn't want them to panic. Because he knows that despite the chaos and the darkness that will come, that the light of God's love and God's peace will ultimately rule victorious in his resurrection. Irene is the Greek word for peace. And it stands in opposition to fear. And to conflict. This peace is the calm found in the center of the storm, reminding us that the storm will soon pass us by. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it's commonly used as a greeting or also as a farewell blessing. It's kind of like saying to someone, May things go well with you in every single way. Shalom, peace be with you. 
This is the gift of God's blessing that holds us fast and marks us as belonging to God. Peace is also a sign of Christian discipleship, for Paul reminds us that it's a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus' peace is given to us to dwell within us as His Spirit resides in our hearts. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit that He's given to His disciples as the advocate, or in Greek, the paraclete, which simply means the helper or comforter. The Holy Spirit fills us with God's peace, a gift that's meant to be experienced and to be extended. But Jesus doesn't tell his disciples that they won't face troubles of any kind or hardship because of their obedience and trust in him. Instead, he commands them not to be afraid and to let their hearts be troubled because he is going to give them his peace, to help them endure what is to come and to persevere through it. See, Jesus knows that the world that we live in is a world filled with anxiety and fear. We try to suppress our fears and our anxiety, but we find that they always tend to creep back up. Everyone created on this earth is afraid of rejection. No one wants to be left out. Everyone wants to feel loved and cared for. There are many people who worry about their financial situation in the present or maybe even in the future to come. We often worry about our health and the fear of death. We worry about our relationships with others, especially when there is conflict that causes division and angst. And we worry about the instability of our world. The fear of terrorism, the fear of going to war. Sometimes peace seems to be a foreign concept to us, a utopian ideal that cannot be achieved, and to some degree that's true. Peace cannot be achieved merely on our own. Sometimes I think we are fooled into believing our political candidates who promise to bring peace and prosperity and solve every worry that we have. We so desperately want things to be right that we are deceived into thinking that one person can fulfill all of our desires. Sometimes we are deceived by the advertisements that we see on our television sets promising us that this great product will solve all of our problems If we just buy this, everything will be okay. And we've bought them only to find out that it's still not okay. And yet we can still fall into that trap over and over and over again. I find that so often we look to all the wrong things to self-medicate our fears only to discover that they can't deliver the peace that we truly need. But Jesus, Jesus' promise of peace, his gift of himself, it's not an empty promise. It's real. And we can know this peace even in the midst of the chaos that often surrounds us. Jesus told his disciples that anyone who loves him will obey his father's teaching and that he and his father will love them and that together they will come and make their home with them. What does that mean? means that Jesus promises his peace in the midst of all of life's struggles. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4, saying, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I thought this morning I would share with you three different instances in which I've experienced this peace that Paul speaks of. And maybe, just maybe, you've experienced it too. When I was serving in my last congregation, I was in Columbia, South Carolina. As some would say at this time of the year, hell on earth, as hot as it is down there. I received a phone call from a friend of mine who was a former colleague of mine. We were associate pastors together at Eastminster Presbyterian Church. And he called me up in the middle of my day and completely disrupted my day. He said, Jeff, um, it's Amos, and I want to tell you something. I'm about to get on a phone call with a member of a pastor nominating committee, and they're looking for a senior pastor, and I believe that you are the right person for the job. I want to give them your name. And I said, no, thank you. Um, I'm happy where I am. Life is good. My wife and I just bought a house a year ago. We want to be here for the long haul. I'm not interested. He said, well, I'm sorry. You, You don't understand. You don't know where this church is. I said, Amos, I don't care where this church is. I said, we're happy. I don't need to put my name in the hat for any position. He said, it's in Boone. Now, y'all know that I grew up here. He knew that I grew up here. And I said, Amos, you have just ruined my day. I said, look, you can give them my personal email address, but please tell the person that you speak with that it would take an act of God for anything to happen to make us move from Columbia to Boone or anywhere else. He said, fair enough. So, After this, I received an email and then a phone call from the chair of the PNC of this congregation, and she explained to me that they had been in the search for about a year and a half looking for a pastor. I tried very hard to sway her from talking to me in that position, but whatever I said did not work. I have to be honest, there was a lot of anxiety and worry and fear within me Because I know that sometimes God disrupts our lives and calls us out of where we are into new situations. Sometimes God likes to move us out of our comfort zones into the uncomfortable so that we can grow. And I was fearful that that's exactly what God was doing at this time. Nonetheless, my wife and I prayed about it and we said if God is doing something, we should be open to that and not resist. And so we interviewed a phone call uh, interview that lasted for three hours. And then they called me back and said, Jeff, we really like you. We'd like to bring you up for a visit. I said, okay. And so we came and we visited. The best part of my visit was a tour of Boone with Ben Miller and Galen Williams. I'd never seen Boone before. It was great. That's a joke. I grew up here. Um, But I did get to see the high school. That was not the high school that I went to. We had a wonderful time with the committee, and as my wife and my children and I began to make our trip back to Columbia, I asked my wife, I said, Angela, what are you thinking about this? Like, what are your thoughts? And she said, Jeff, I think God's calling us to Boone. And I said, well, when did you know that? She said, you know, when we met at the church this morning, we, we met with Doug Starrett. Many of you know Doug, tired minister. He was a temporary supply pastor here for three months in the transition. She said, when we were talking with Doug, I just felt this peace from God about this, 
this call, that, that God was working this out. And I said, oh my goodness, are you serious? She said, yes. I said, that is exactly when I felt that. I felt that same peace in that very same moment that you did. And I knew that, that God was doing something here that you and I cannot mess up. And I can't explain it to you. There's no words to describe the peace that I felt but I knew without a doubt that God was up to something, and that if God was up to something, then that God was going to take care of all that fear, all that worry, all that anxiety that we had in transitioning from our lives here to a new life here. You know, that whole move your whole family to a new place, your kids got to be in a new school, you got to have a place to live, your wife's got to have a job so you can live and make ends meet kind of stuff. That's real life stuff. And even when God brings you up out of that, there's still realities in life that need to be met. And there's an unknown, right? Will God provide? In that moment, that fear was gone. And I knew that God would. And indeed, God did. And for that, we are eternally grateful. But I've also experienced God's peace during a very difficult difficult time in my life. My grandfather died when I was serving as the director of Christian education in my first church in Bennettsville, South Carolina. I was really close to him. I was the first grandchild, so he spoiled me pretty good. I was very sad to lose him. His health had declined. He had had a a stroke and then a series of another stroke or two that ultimately led to his death. My family had asked, since I was the pastor type, if I would be the pastor for the service, and I told them no, that I needed to be a family member, that I needed to grieve with them. So when we came to the funeral, I remember um, sitting in the sanctuary of the church where he was a member, and I remember during that service feeling this peace that I had not experienced before. I was sad, but I was not distraught. Behind me sat my aunt, who wailed loud and cried the entire service. She cried as if she would never see my grandfather again. And truth be told to you, my my aunt didn't really have a wonderful relationship with God. But during that service, even though I was sad, there was never a tear that fell from my eye. Not because I didn't love my grandfather, not because I was desensitized to what was going on, but because I felt the peace of God that transcends all understanding that was guarding my heart and mind in Christ Jesus, knowing that my grandfather was with the Lord. I was nothing but grateful for his life and for the opportunity that I had to spend with him. It's a big change for me to experience that and to see another family member who experienced anxiety. And on another occasion, I felt God's peace in a much different way. I was serving as the director of youth ministry at First Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. It was there that I was serving full-time in the church and going to seminary uh, on the weekends. During my time in that church, there was a lot of staff upheaval while I was there. I worked with 16 different ordained pastors in six years in that church. And that was just the pastoral staff. There was a lot of turnover. There was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of of siloed ministries. There was a lot of staff conflict. And while I was there, there was a certain associate pastor who was very divisive and who 
who wanted to supervise me and kind of tell me how to do my job, but it wasn't just me, it was everybody, it was even our senior pastor. In the midst of all of this, I'd had a confidential conversation with our senior minister at the time, explaining some things that had transpired, and he had assured me that he had experienced the same things, and that in the midst of all of this, that the presbytery was now getting involved, and that is not good if the presbytery gets involved with an installed pastor. In the Baptist church, three-fourths vote, you're out of there. In the Presbyterian church, it's not quite that way. It gets messy, and it involves the committee on uh, ministry to come and get involved, and they were getting involved in this. There were many people that knew that there were issues going on, but very few of us knew that they involved the Presbytery. So, a couple of days later, I received a phone call from a pastor colleague of mine who served at that church with me for a number of years. And he had left the church uh, about six months prior, and in doing so, he too had had issues with this particular pastor. And he called me up and he said, Jeff, I know what's going on there. I know what's happening. I know that the presbytery is involved. And he kind of laid out everything that I already knew. And then he asked me a question. He said, I'm right, aren't I? Stupidly, I said yes. What I should have said was, I can't talk to you about that. It's inappropriate for us to have that conversation. But I said, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And I thought nothing of it. A couple of days later, I received a phone call from my senior pastor. And he called me up on the phone. It was my day off. And he said, Jeff, I need to talk to you about something. He said, there's been a problem. Someone has leaked information about what's going on in the church. And now it has the potential to disrupt everything that's going on. Did you speak to anyone about this? My heart sunk. And I said, yes, I did. I didn't intend to do that. It's not like I called someone and said, hey, let me tell you what's going on. But someone already knew about it. But yes, I I did. I confirmed it. He was not happy about that. I was very disappointed. I felt like a horrible human being that I had betrayed the trust of my pastor. The worst part of the whole thing was that evening we were supposed to be together. My wife was working for a local community foundation, and they were having their annual fundraising event. Guess who was supposed to pray the opening prayer? My senior pastor. Guess who was going to be sitting right next to me at the table with 500 other people? My senior pastor. Man, it couldn't get any worse than that. In the midst of that, I didn't want to go to this event, but I had to go to it. I had to support my wife and I'm supposed to sit next to him, and boy, this is going to be super awkward. And I was very anxious about it and fearful of it because I had to confront this very thing that I had done, and I already felt terrible about it. And so I got dressed, and I got ready. And when we arrived there, as I made my way over to the table, he saw me. And before I had a chance to come and say one word to him, he came to me, and he embraced me, And he whispered in my ear, Jeff, I love you, and I forgive you. It's going to be okay. Now, I have to tell you, that's not what I expected to hear. That's not the response that I was expecting. I was expecting him to be standoffish and to be cordial, but not speak to me really at all during that event. 
You see, he did something radical. He offered forgiveness, and he knew that it was going to be offered, and he gave me his peace. The fear that had crippled me, the anxiety that had paralyzed me, in that moment was gone. And I felt the peace of Christ right there with him. And you know, I think that my experience in that moment was much like the disciples' experience after Jesus' death. After he was resurrected, Jesus sought out his disciples. They were hiding in a room with the doors locked out of fear for the Jewish leaders. They thought that they were going to be arrested and tried and murdered just like Jesus. But Jesus breaks through the door and he comes in and he sees the very ones who denied him, who failed him, who, who were not there for him. And the first thing that he says to them is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Not condemnation, but peace. And I am sure that this is one of the greatest gifts that they had ever received. Because I too have received that gift. You see, the greatest gift... No matter what you think it is, it comes from Jesus. Receiving his peace that the world cannot give us and the gift of his Holy Spirit to help us experience and to extend his peace in the midst of uncertainty or in the midst of loss or even in the midst of broken relationships, it is a gift that this world cannot offer us. Peace is embodied in the life of Jesus who comes to reconcile all sinners with God. Paul tells us this in Romans 5.1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And because we have received and experienced this peace, we are also called to extend it to one another. Paul also commands us, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. God's peace that transcends all understanding, is graciously given to us during our most difficult moments of our lives, but it is also to be extended by us in situations where conflict and brokenness exist. You see, the passing of the peace of Christ is more than just words that we say to one another as we greet each other. It's a powerful gift, and it's a witness of the peace that Christ has already extended to each one of us. So my prayer for us, church, is that we would not just remember and experience this peace that God has freely given as a gift to us, but that because we have His presence in our lives, that we would bear the fruit of peace and share it with those who need it from us as well. May we do so this day, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.